this is how organized we are. We didn't actually think about who was going to start the presentation. But um, So my name is Carl Mariotti. I'm the design director for Apparel at Arcteryx. Um, I grew up in New Zealand, went climbing, got lost, ended up in Vancouver. Um, and I think I've been with Arcteryx for about the last 15 years. So um, yeah, I'll just pass over to the other guys and we'll get started. My name is Drummond Lawson, and I have been at Arcteryx for about three years. I am an environmental chemist by background um, and a passionate cross-country skier, which I learned from Alex yesterday is a, a, a hobby I share with Sir Norman Foster. Um, yeah. Um, but I, uh, I run sustainability programs for Arcteryx, and uh, yeah, I've worked in the last little while on this values and culture process that we'll talk a little bit about, little bit about now. My name's Ian Yallis, and uh, I've been in the industry for uh, the bulk of my professional life. I started uh, way back in the day working for years with Outward Bound. Uh, uh, I'm from Toronto, originally moved down to Ventura, where I worked with uh, Patagonia, and then migrated to Portland several years ago. I worked for a number of years at Nike and left when a group of us got together to co-found a company called Now. And uh, the last several years, I've been working with a variety of early stage businesses and doing a little bit of work with Arcteryx, which has been a tremendous amount of fun. So what we want to do is uh, invite you into um, a little bit of an inside uh, look at uh, a process of inquiry that was initiated uh, at Arcteryx, and, and really about a year and a half ago, this process of inquiry was initiated. And the reason we think, hopefully, it's, it's relevant uh, to share today in this context is um, it really is uh, an exploration of, of, of design, um, starting with some commentary about product design, but then thinking about how you actually design a process uh, of inquiry that ultimately has a much larger, in this case, uh, business application. Uh, for a business and brand. Um, so it's really a case study, if you will, uh, from a design perspective. Um, so just to get started, we wanted to invite everybody, just so we can try to create a little bit more of a conversational space. Would everybody just mind moving up a little bit? If you guys in the back want to hang out there, that's cool. But if you can just come in and just fill in these front seats, um, that would be great. Just, it just feels a little bit more conversational and a little bit more intimate. Maybe we can even dispense with the mic. No, don't do that. Don't do that? Okay. More professional. So, um, just to kick this off, First of all, there was a little typo in the program, and it's, it was actually a material typo, so it's worth calling it out. It, it, the, the, the title of the session in the program is value-based design. Um, what, we was, what we intended was values-based design, so I just want to make that clear. The other thing we realized is that while we're up here and while you're here with us, there's another session going on, which is about how to give good presentations. So we're wondering if we should actually be there. But, um, we consider that license for everything that's to come. Right. So I guess I'd like, we'd like to start by asking permission. And the permission is um, to um, ask you a couple questions just to sort of populate some of the terrain that we want to travel in the next hour together with you. Um, so if you don't mind, and of course there's no right answer, um, but with this idea. So first of all, the word values, 
Um, what does that mean to you? No right answers. What, is, what, is, what does the word values mean to you? What are, what are values? Beliefs. Beliefs? Morals? Morals? Your compass? Your compass? Your what's important? Any other ideas in terms of what values mean to you? What are values? Mission? Priorities. Conscience. Sorry? Well, conduct? Conduct. Okay. Sorry? Passion. Your core. No lack. Okay, let me ask another question. If this is sort of representative of what we think values are. Where do values come from? Society. Society? Your mother? <laughs> Sorry, tribe? Somebody said tribe? Tribe? Culture? Experiences? Your boss. Your boss? That's good. Self-interest. Can you elaborate? Well, you know, is there something, these particular values are going to result in the best outcome for me, and that doesn't necessarily mean you know, short-term you know, uh, gain. It could be in the long term. Any other thoughts? Where do values come from? Your gut. Your gut. Imitation. Imitation. Okay, one last question. Need. Oh, Need. From need. Okay. Um, so one last question. So we're we're using. So we're we're here. We're designers. I'm not a designer, by the way. Most of you are designers. Um, but we thought this idea of values-based design uh, is sort of central to this process of inquiry that was initiated uh, several months ago at Arcteryx. So when you hear that phrase, values-based design. What does that conjure up for you? What does that mean to you? The idea of what might that mean? The idea of values-based design, yeah. So a reflection of your belief system. So it reflects your belief system. Considered design. Considered design. Hemp clothing. That's good. Hemp clothing. <laughs> Representative of who you are. Interesting. Of who you are. Accountability. Integrity. Internal. This is this is interesting. Internal consistency. Sorry, there was there was, another, there was internal consistency, but there was another one. Integrity, that's right. Okay. Sorry? The basis to establish principle? Okay. Excellent. So, drum it.
Yeah, so I think there's some really interesting ideas here. And um, I think particularly when we talk about values, what's really, like what becomes really relevant is that there's not a single definition. Like there, there are a lot of different directions you could look. And I mean, one good example is I was riding the train in from the airport yesterday and I was like, like revising the definition that we've been working with or writing it out and there's a homeless guy sitting opposite me. He was like, what are you writing? I was like, I'm trying to define what a value is. And I was like, what would you say? And he goes, I think it's like, it's something that you deeply believe and you try to act by. I was like, that's a pretty, that's a pretty good definition. So anyways, that's our new definition. Uh, uh, that's, not a, that's not our new definition. I, the point is that there are a lot of different definitions for a lot of different purposes, but the one that we worked with in the process of our inquiry and the one that we'll use for the purpose of today's conversation is that they're the things that you've lived. Like that's, they're, like, they're the lessons, they're the morals of your story. They're, like, they're forged in the path you've taken, like the boundaries you've bumped into, the things that went right and the things that went wrong, and the things that you'd give up something dear to hold to. Like that you're like, that's a line. Like I will live by that. I, like, I believe, I feel better about my life, my existence, what I'm here for if I live within that line. So it's the way we phrased that when riding the train in from the airport was beliefs and deeply held convictions forged by our unique experiences, traumas, and privileges. And I, I think what was, I actually, this, this is kind of co-opted from one of the, like, many, many, many sources that we read, and I actually can't remember which definition or what the author was. So I've, I paraphrased somebody and stolen their definition. If anybody knows the answer, uh, please let me know. Uh, we went through a lot of material. Uh, but the idea here is it's not something that is chosen. It's not like, hey, those are nice. Like, wouldn't it be cool if we could aspire to be X? It's like, no, what did I learn from going through that process? And it's a pretty easy transition from that as an individual to that as an organization. What have we gone through? What's gone right? What were successes? Like, when we're at our best, what do we really get right? And how does that distill into a value? So, so that's the, that's the, uh, the defi- definition that we worked with. And what we'll, we'll talk through is kind of how we, we, we look at the, the topic of the conference's inflection points. What was, what was the inflection point within our organization that brought us to start asking that question and to try to say, well, what are ours? And how would we find them, and how would we live up to them, and how would we base design, and how would we base other decisions on them? So I'll hand over to Carl to talk about kind of how we got to that. Yeah, so um, what was I supposed to be talking about? Um, so from the beginning. So I think a couple of years ago, we, we were at this really interesting time in the company's history and in its um, evolution and we had this really, really rapid growth, and the company was just sort of... The product seemed to be resonating in many different parts of the world, and we were just sort of this runaway train, and there was more people coming on board, and what had started with this core group of maybe 10 or 15 people had grown to an organisation of 400, 450 people. And one of the challenges we had within the design department was how do we bring people into our product engine and how do we um, create a consistency in, in what we're doing and how do we um, continue to evolve the company in the way that we want it to go and not let it be pulled in too many other directions by other stakeholders. And so there was uh, a process that we went through to, to sort of 
to do that. And so if anyone here was here last year, we talked a little bit about establishing deliverables for the design process so that we had a language, um, a common language and a common set of objectives. Uh, and so that was sort of the first stage. And then the second stage was to start to look at what is it that has led us to be successful? What are the things that we've done right? What have we, we built the brand on? And then how do we capture that? And then the second thing was to look outside and look at other designers and other organizations that we had a lot of respect for and say, what are they doing that we can learn from? And how do we, how do we take that on board? And so um, we sort of started this process of inquiry and getting you know, as many people as we could together and sort of to talk about the journey and, and what we were doing. And from that, uh, we, we started to um, realize that one of the driving principles that, or, that we'd, we'd really strive for was to create this concept of longevity in, in the product that we were building. And so that was that we could build these products that had a... Uh, became a companion for people and that you gathered experiences with um, and that, that provided this, this long and genuine value um, for people. And so that drove a lot of the thinking from there and then started to think about, okay, what other organizations have done a really good job of that? And you start to look um, at designers and I think just over um, you know, the last two days, there's been some great examples um, of looking at designers that have really led the way. And so um, whether it's Raymond Lowy or it's Dieter Rams or it's Norman Foster, um, we can look at what these people were doing and what stands out to me about it is that they were really driven by a much greater purpose in what that they were doing. They weren't just setting out to make another commodity. They had a much bigger idea and uh, it always seem to sort of circle back to this idea of values and what is it that we want to bring into the world. And if we can have values and identify what those are, then we can start to drive consistency and we can start to drive the future. So what was, what was really interesting, I guess what, where this process started to get momentum was um, at the same time as that was going on within the design engine, I, I at that time was working mainly in an R&D function. I'm a chemist by background. Uh, had worked for a number of other kind of design and sustainability-led organizations. And for me, one of the surprises within Arcteryx was that there wasn't really an established logic around environmental programs and around sustainability. There wasn't really a thought out, with the exception of that answer of like, well, build stuff well that lasts. That was kind of the, the, the start and the end of the conversation around design for sustainability in Arcteryx. And I was like, that's so interesting because there's this like, natural affinity with the population working here of people that have chosen to build their life on the North Shore in Vancouver, that, you know, that this, like, these are their passions. They have beliefs about activities in the outdoors, and they're like, anyways, yeah, that's all kind of hard stuff to figure out back to designing outdoor gear. And I was like, that's so funny. Like, why is it that there's this kind of personal belief and then this schism to what I do in my job? So we started talking about, well, what would an Arcteryx sustainability strategy look like? If we were mindful, if we could inform decisions, what would those be? How would we do that? And we kept coming back to this idea of like, well, we need to have a values-based strategy. We need to have a values-based sustainability program. We need a values-based design. And we're like, wait a second, what, like, what are values? Like, what are our values? I think we kind of had these really, we should have had that conversation with you guys about two years ago. That would have been really useful. 
But we, were, we started to ask that question internally, and actually right around that time, I think it was even two years ago, I was through Portland on something, and Ian and I caught up for lunch and started talking about like, what, is, what are values and what, like, what, is, what is the identity of an organization? Kind of this started, uh, like, yeah, I guess started an inquiry process. And as I said, it was, it, was, it was really good timing in that we'd gone through this period of growth and we're in a period of growth where we were asking these questions from a design perspective, asking the questions from a sustainability perspective, and um, asking the questions from kind of an organizational brand from many different angles, kind of going like, so like, who are we? It's like the perfect existential quarter-life crisis. Arcteryx at this point is like, 26, 27 years old, kind of like finding way in world and has this like, whoa, wait a second, like, what am I here for? You know? Uh, so it, it was, it was a, a, a conversation that kind of hit, um, hit a nerve in a number of different directions of the company. And my background is I'd, I'd come to Arcteryx from uh, Method, from a cleaning products company based in San Francisco, where they were very deliberate about the design of organizational culture. Like, there was a very explicit process of identifying kind of what was the foundation myth and what lived out of that. What were the values? What were the behaviors that people lived by and how were those reinforced? We're like, that's so interesting that Arcteryx, again, this very design-led organization, never really went through that mindful process of saying like, wait a second, how would we build an organization to deliver the product we believe in? Super good at designing the product. Really refined process for putting together insights and building better product, but had never really gone through the process of saying, like, how would you shape the instrument, the, or- the organ of Arcteryx to, like, to, to deliver that, to perpetuate that? How do, you, how do you build that into it? So I was like, okay, cool. So like, how do we, how do you kind of, how do we, what would be the process of reverse engineering that? How do we build that in? Um, so it will, maybe we'll come back to the mechanics of the process itself, but one of the tools that we came to that Ian and I started talking about a couple years ago is something called the flame model that I think picked up some really interesting pieces of what came up in the conversation. Okay, so um, I was supposed to keep the slide deck moving. That's okay. And now we've got to play catch up. Um, We we need to be in the other presentation. So just... I was was supposed to have this one on. This was me. Um, I thought I'd build the Millennium Falcon, but we didn't have it in New Zealand. Um, (laughs) My mom made the sweater. Um, here we go, Ian. Gotcha. That looks so overwhelming. So ignore that for a minute. But so just to connect the dots, Drummond mentioned he was at Method, and when we were starting now, um, although very different product types, um, Method now there was a real sense of kinship in terms of what we were setting out to do and our aspirations at now, and what we thought the folks at Method were setting out to do. So consequently, uh, back in 2000, and must have been 2006 or something like that, maybe, um, we got to know the team at Method. That's where I met Drummond. Um, so two years ago, or roughly two years ago, Drummond, and we, we maintained a nice friendship. And two years ago, he uh, ends up calling me saying, hey, I'm going to be in Portland. Let's get together for lunch. So we get together at the Clyde Common, and Drummond starts to tell me, you know, what they're starting to think about at Arcteryx, um, which is, and I'm using Drummond's words, this question, who are we? Which is an interesting question for a brand that's been around for 25 years to now be asking. And I thought that was pretty fascinating as uh, not only an observer of Arcteryx, but as a user of the Arcteryx pros- uh, product. Um, you know, my view of Arcteryx was if anybody knows anything about Arcteryx, they know one thing Arcteryx makes great product. But it, you'd be hard pressed to say anything else about Arcteryx. Like, who are who are they, right? 
And I thought that represented, as a marketer, um, and somebody who's deeply interested in storytelling and deeply interested in what animates um, a, a culture of a company internally, I thought that asking that question and potentially answering that question with clarity and discipline and conviction could unleash an enormous amount of new potential at this now 25-year-old company. So we're sitting at the Clyde Common, and we're having this conversation around who are we. And I think quite literally, I, I pulled out a napkin, and I drew a little image, or I, I just walked Drummond through a little idea. And this is not my idea. I just want to be very clear where this comes from. Does the name Peter Senge mean anything to anybody in the room? Peter, so who's Peter Senge? Yeah, so he's, uh, he's a professor at MIT. He's one of the world's leading both thinkers and practitioners in the world of organizational design, organizational development. Uh, also very active now in the sustainability ar arena. And he has spent a lot of time not only thinking about, but more important, applying his thinking. Uh, thinking about how you intervene in complex organizations to produce profound change. So he's a systems thinker. Um, and he's thought a lot about um, how you do that, um, but not, not just in a theoretical way. He's worked with all kinds of organizations, intervening to produce complex change. And he's, he, came up, he came out of something called the Society of Organizational Learning that Senge uh, founded with another former colleague of mine, a guy by the name of Bill Isaacs, um, came up with this model. And the interesting thing about the model, from my point of view, is not only is it extremely... Um, both descriptive but also um, very easy to apply in the arena of organizational change and development. But for me, it was also perhaps the best, most sort of intuitive, simplest way of understanding how a brand actually works and how you build and construct and steward a brand. So I shared this with Drummond, and I'm just going to quickly walk you through it. And then we'll talk more specifically about how this ultimately got applied uh, at Arcteryx and what this process of inquiry um, to articulate the, the underlying purpose of Arcteryx and the values, how that all took shape. But forgive my drawing, but imagine this is a flame. And uh, Senge says that in, in there, there, uh, this is a sort of a description of how organizations work. And he says, up at the top of the flame is something that he describes as the action level of an organization. And by action, he simply means anything that goes on in an organization that is observable, that is physical, that you can count, um, that sort of manifests in the external world. So things like financial results, uh, the products that you all design, the, the, the products themselves, they all exist at the action level. Um, and at the end of the day, the action level is hugely important because ultimately that's where you know whether you've been successful as an individual within an organization delivering certain results and whether the organization, you know, in its total sense is being successful in the world or not. It's measurable, it's observable, there's data associated with what takes place at the action level. And the interesting thing is, Senge says, and you can reflect on your own experience, um, regardless of the organization type, it could be large, it could be small, for-profit, non-profit, government, he says roughly, let's call it 70 to 75% of the waking energy in any organization is focused on making stuff happen at the action level, which sort of makes sense in a way because that's where 
you know, the results, the rubber hits the road, so to speak. But he's saying, you know what, there's more to organizations and how they function, if you want to describe sort of the day-to-day -day reality in an organization, than what is going on just at the action level. So he says, down here, there's something that he refers to as structure. Any, any ideas as to what he might mean by structure? If you think about structure in an organizational context, what would be an example of structure? Any ideas? Who reports to who? The organizational structure, the hierarchy. Uh, another example would be a compensation systems, right? That's a structure, and they incentivize certain kinds of behaviors. There are other kinds of structures, uh, Sengi would, uh, would argue, he calls them mental models, predominant ways of thinking within an organization. Um, uh, who sits beside who? That is a form of structure. Uh, there are various policies, uh, written policies, that people are supposed to follow in organizations, right? Those are all examples of structure. And Sengi says structure is important because without a certain amount of structure, you basically have chaos, right? So he says, well, maybe, you know, another 70 to 75 percent of the waking energy is focused at action. In most organizations, you know, 15 to 20 percent is focused at the structure level. Now, interesting comment about structure is from a design point of view, that's, that's another design activity in an organization is not only what are the structures, but more importantly, have you designed the structures to achieve the kind of results that you want to achieve? Is the structure designed in a way that supports the kind of result you want to achieve? But Sengi says there's more to it than that in this flame. If you get a little deeper into the flame, down closer to this core blue center, he says there's something called tone. And tone, you know, in a way, it sounds maybe a little esoteric, but, but I guess I would, when trying to describe what tone is, why is it that when you walk into one organization, you literally, you walk in the door, you walk through the office, you feel something. There's a certain vibe. There's a certain atmosphere. You could then go down the street and walk into some other organization, and the vibe and the atmosphere, just the way it feels to you, is very different. That's tone. It has a physical quality, although it's really atmospheric. I would argue we shifted the tone for this conversation by asking everybody to come forward in the room. That's an example of shifting the atmosphere, shifting the tone. Another example of tone is, why is it, imagine, and I think we've all had this experience, you can be sitting in a meeting with a group of colleagues talking about subject A, and for whatever reason, in that meeting, you feel completely free to express whatever it is that you think. Then imagine yourself in a different meeting with a different configuration of people talking about the same thing. But for some reason, you feel more inhibited. You don't feel like it's safe to state fully your opinion with conviction. That is an example of tone in an organization. And we, you know, it's another conversation about how the tone gets set and who sets the tone and how you shift the tone. But Sengi argues that's a very uh, critical part of organizational reality, and of course, not one that many people pay a lot of attention to or typically have a lot of consciousness about. So maybe 5% of the waking energy goes there. But then Sengi says at the core of the flame is there set, is called, uh, a word he uses is the word identity. That is at the core of the organization. 
And by identity, Sengi literally means, who are you? Right? And this, it came up, it came up uh, earlier. So who are you? And uh, what do you really care about? And not only what do you really care about, but why should anybody care about what you care about? And it is sort of, as, as Drummond was suggesting, this kind of existential question. And it's interesting because I would argue that, so here's, here's Arcteryx sort of coming to this question about identity in a conscious way 25 years in versus, I'm thinking of our friends at Rafa, and I'm a user of the Rafa product and sort of a follower of the brand. I, my guess is that when Rafa got started, that kind of day one there was a conversation about identity. That's my guess. I don't know. I wasn't there, but that's my guess. So um, a couple of other comments about this, as a, and then we'll segue into the actual work at Arcteryx. So somebody said, we asked about um, values-based design, internal consistency, integrity, representation of who you are. So if I put my brand lens and my design lens on, on this idea, so consistency, so I think the most compelling brands in the world are brands that demonstrate consistency, meaning they're clear about who they are. That's reflected in both the internal and external tone that the brand projects. They have structures to support this, and every single interaction in the external world at any consumer touch point, more or less, as much as possible, is consistent with that identity. In other words, the most authentic brands do have the kind of alignment, and these are your words, not mine, representation of who you are, internal consistency, integrity. That's where the sense of integrity of a brand comes from, that there's alignment from the identity through the tone, through the structure to the action, and that that's informed ultimately by having a deep conviction and a shared understanding across the organization of who you are. And one other really important, two other points, and then I'm going to pause and turn it back to Drummond. Um, Sengi says, first of all, that these levels in the organization, from the kind of deeply internal to the external facing part of the organization, they're causal connections. They're causal relationships here. The structures do influence the action. The clarity around identity does influence the tone. So the, there's causal connection here. And the one other thing that Sengi says, which is interesting from a brand point of view as well as from an organizational change point of view, he said that if you, if you the, typically the greatest point of leverage for change in any organization resides at the identity level. That, that if you really can get clear and internally aligned around who you are, that's where you have the greatest leverage in terms of influencing an organization. So let me pause there and I'll turn it over to Drummond. Cool. Thanks, Ian. So, so this was... This is a really useful lens to come at trying to understand the organization. And I think where, where our story picked up from there was saying, we, we kind of have this felt sense of identity. Like, the, the, the responses you get from people in the company, we talk about it, word like, the word love comes up a lot. Like, the Arcteryx brand for people working there means a lot to them. And a lot of them have given big slices of their working lives to it. Um, but what was... What was what we started to do was try to say, okay, so people can kind of feel this. Like, it's under the ground. It's, like, submerged under the surface, which is kind of a really useful analogy for a brand who's 
emblem is a fossil. We were like, we're, we're trying to do is basically dust off that fossil record. Like, what is that that's felt under the ground? What is that sense of identity? What constitutes those convictions? And how do we get really clear about them so we could say in a decision-making setting, in a design decision, to be able to say, like, okay, that, like, that's, a, that's a really representative direction to go. We feel really good about that versus, like, you know, actually, like, we're starting to get kind of peripheral here. Or when we're deciding what we do in terms of materials choices and impacts, what do we feel really good about? Like, what actually gets us to something that we want to stand behind and we feel reflects us? So we're like, okay, that's like, what's, what is the dusting off process there? We had about, there were seven of us from different disciplines across the company that started to try to get our head around, like, what is that process even? How do we take this, like, super compelling model of an organization drawn up by some people at MIT and figure out, well, what does that look like in terms of what does set the tone? in the organization here, and how would we try to uncover that? And it was, uh, yeah, it was, it, was the, I mean, it was, it was a very structured process in the end that offered some pretty good lessons, but most of it started really with good conversation, like finding these, these small groups of people that we were like, if anybody's read Good to Great, kind of the mission, the mission to Mars kind of idea, like who are those mission to Mars people within our territory? Who would be the ones if, if, like, if we had to replicate this organization on a new planet and we had to send a, few, a handful of people, who would be the best and brightest? What represents what this is? And gather those people in a room and be like, okay, cool. Now let's like, answer like, online dating style questions like, when Arcteryx is at its best, what does it get right? And like, the, what is the moment that you felt proudest of of what you've done in the company? And really trying to get to these, the stories that actually constitute where people feel we're doing right versus wrong or when we're like really onto good ideas. So really trying to find those stories and find those morals to extract from them. Um, and what we started to pull out of that was a body of content of like, hey, this concept of evolution keeps coming up. Like, this, this, like, notion of evolving is central. So we kind of find a way to phrase it and share it back to the group and be like, hey, is this it? Does that encapsulate what we're trying to say? And that was a surprisingly long iterative process to, like, reflect the content back and be like, does this, does this word capture? Is that actually what motivates these decisions? And people will be like, no, that's really cool, but, like, actually we don't do that. Like, we never do that. Like, I love this idea of long-term thinking, you know, the sustainability mindset, dinosaurs, right? I'm like, long-term thinking, that characterizes the organization. I built this whole value and evidence of it and stories that I thought it was the moral of and, like, then, like put it in front of people. And I was like, see? Like, it's about long-term thinking. And they're like, no, it's not. Like, <laughs> like, when have we actually successfully used that in design decisions? We're about iteration. We're about, like, fail fast, not about, like, plan for 30 years out. I was like, ugh. Okay, cool, next. <laughs> short-term thinking? Are we about short-term thinking? Um, so anyways, that was, that was the process, was like trying to draw out those lessons and reflect that back into the organization. And I think one of the guiding lights that we had was that we, the company had actually paid an external consultancy to come in five years earlier and deliver our identity to us. And so I think what we learned from that nobody ever referenced the material that they pr produced for us. And what was really interesting was that the purpose that they unearthed through their interviews in the company actually gave us the same purpose as Lexus um, three years earlier. And so we, we, I think we knew from that process that what we had to do was figure out what was actually true about the company, not what made us look the best or what was the most inspirational for people to rally around or which words were trending on, on Google um, at the time. And so there was this 
definite conscious effort to want to really capture um, what was true about the brand rather than what we wanted ourselves to be. Yeah, I think that the point you mentioned earlier about going wide and looking at organizations that we thought did a really good job of this. I mean, we mentioned uh, mentioned Rafa and mentioned Method, but uh, spent a lot of time talking about, talking with organizations who'd put a lot of thought to designing those structures. So if anybody's ever chatted with Gore about how they organize this, like the company of Gore, W.L. Gore, it's not like anything else. It is a very, it is basically a social pressure designed inclusive group model, which is like, takes you a long time to understand how decisions get made. I don't know if they under, always understand how decisions get made, uh, but it was a really interesting design exercise to understand what is, how are things reinforced and how is that delivered within the organization. We looked at, I think uh, Netflix has done a great job of articulating what values mean to them and how they're reflected and how they're reinforced and how that becomes a basis of their culture. Zappos is one of the greatest examples of taking a very deliberate rewiring exercise to build this concept of holacracy into their organization. So really trying to study what were the vectors that different companies use to try to reinforce these things. Um, and we're, uh, like, it'd be really cool to do this presentation in, like, five years and be like, here's what we learned. Like, here's the, like, here's X percentage more great designs that reflected our identity that have gone through. But this is, like, this is pretty fresh off the presses for us is that this, you know, this, I guess the kind of the, the broader sharing is in the last few months. And there are a couple of Arcteryx people in the crowd. Maybe we should actually ask them to say how it's gone. Um, we'll say it was great. Um, but, uh, but it has been really interesting to see the language get picked up in decisions. And it's, it's kind of been that, like, we've invested in a common vocabulary for people to say, okay, well, this is who we are and what right is and what like, we aspire to and what we, think is, like, what we think is us at our best. And the architecture we came out to, uh, to build that on was kind of an elaboration, a statement of purpose. Like, so what are we here for? The, the, the second tier of it is, like, the, the value. So... Again, those deeply held convictions and beliefs that, that, that the, the, however we describe values, like what are those principles that we're trying to operate by? And then the way that those can kind of get a little bit lofty and like they can still kind of live at the 30,000 foot level. So the, the next tier of it was, uh, we call the code of the collective, kind of the behaviors. Like what are the ways you actually get that done? Like what are the, um, what are the behaviors that you could actually live a value in a decision, like a, live a value in a, in a design process? What's a, um, what's a thing that you could do to gather more information to better inform? Like one of, the, one, of the, um, one of them, for example, is go to the root of the right problems. So it's like know when to go to first principles, like know when you need to like shake the tree until you can see everything, and when is it's like, no, you can, like, you can be fully 80-20, like you're just going to waste time if you go all the way deep on that. Like you have to be smart about where resources go. So what's the operational dimension? Um, and that's, that was, that, that's the structure. We, we rolled that up into a book uh, with all the examples that came out of those small groups that kind of sat as like, what was the story that each value is the moral of? And, uh, several of those. We actually thought that, that Rafa did a great job of this as well, of like, trying to say, what is, like, this is not a wish. Like, what does this mean to us? Um, so I went about kind of capturing that. And it's, uh, yeah, it's, I mean, the, the proof will be, this will actually be an exor- exercise in long-term thinking, I hope. Um, but the proof will be, you know, in five, ten years, is, you know, are these things, like, was that it? Did that stick? Have we found ways to make that resonate? Are people able to pick this up and be like, I have permission to act in these ways like, that will affect change in the organization. I have permission to go and look for products in this direction or um, to try to deliver experiences in this direction because of this. 
And that'll be the evidence is seeing how well that actually, how robust that is, how well that stands the test of time. Um, is that, I mean, I think it's not a good thing to wish for, but the real test will be what would happen if the company was in a crisis? Like, is, would this be something that it's like, that's a, that's a structure to, like, to build on? Or is it like, yeah, that was nice when things were great, now back to work. Um, so I'm not wishing for that, but that will be the ultimate test. So I'll just add a couple of other uh, comments. So Drummond mentioned the book, and I think from the beginning, because we, we sort of referred to this as a process of inquiry, and Drummond did, I think, a really nice job of, and, and Carl as well, explaining that we weren't inventing anything. This was kind of an archaeological dig to uncover the truth, the truths, that, the core truths that existed throughout this 25 years, but had never really been articulated. So from the very beginning, although we didn't necessarily know at the beginning how all of this would manifest, we always did have this idea of a book, that we wanted to distill the thinking to a point where we could codify it in the form of a book. And so we did that, and by the way, the book was given to every single employee in the company, and the book, uh, is, it, the cover of the book uh, is made of these remnant Gore-Tex Gore fabrics, so it's evocative of, of Arcteryx and the brand. But the other thing about the book is that it was given out at the end of a two-day all-company um, experience. So I think it's pretty significant you know, to say that Arcteryx, the leadership team in Arcteryx, because there was conversation yesterday about how do designers interact with senior leadership. Part of this process got the senior leadership team at uh, Arcteryx very invested in this process to the point where all of this culminated in a two-day all-company event. And, um, and just a, a word on that, one of the values that we ended up articulating was the idea of live it, that uh, Arcteryx is about, um, uh, is making products for use in the outdoors and people should live that. That is part of what we value, is being in the outdoors. So the way the event was construct, uh, constructed was half the company spent one day outdoors. Um, uh, crevasse rescue workshop, uh, pretty serious orienteering workshop, uh, up on crystal snowboarding, skiing. The other half of the company uh, on that same day was going through a series of workshops where the purpose, the values in an experiential fashion, people were being engaged in these ideas. And at the end of that two-day experience, the book was distributed as an artifact, a lasting artifact, with all of this thinking codified, was distributed to every single employee. And then the one other comment I would make um, is that, uh, you know, the, I think the intent here is that now having clearly um, articulated these core ideas, purpose, values, the code of the behavior, that should in turn, from so the identity is clear, that should begin to inform everything that goes on in the company internally, the kind of employees that are hired, how performance reviews are done, what sort of rituals and celebrations take place uh, within Arcteryx uh, on a weekly, monthly, annual basis. So it, really, it, it should inform the entire internal apparatus and operations of the company. And I think there's now a much more um, compelling foundation to have all of this thinking inform every single um, external impression that anybody gets uh, or, or interact, interaction with the Arcteryx brand across any consumer touch point. Um, so there's a whole other body of work that's now taking place in that regard, but is informed by this thinking. So Carl, any other? Um, I think the, the, if we bring it back to the design department, the thing that then becomes interesting is that 
I, I believe that good design should then embody uh, that, well, it should resonate with the purpose um, of the company, but it should also embody the values. And, so, and it shouldn't only embody those values functionally in terms of what it, what it is able to do or what it allows um, the user to do, but it should also, um, the, the visual language of that product should also speak to the values of the brand. Because if, if, we, if we get it right, if we design well, then the product should actually communicate the values of the brand to the consumer. And so I think that's where it becomes really interesting for design now to, to have that foundation and, and work towards it. And it's a great way of ensuring that you have consistency in the design work that you're doing. Um, because if you always bring it back to the, to the values and the aesthetic is driven by those values, then you should be able to drive consistency. Yes. Can you give us an example of, of that, where there's a specific value and a specific design that embodies that value? Sure. I think uh, the, the one for me is so we've always wanted to... Um, build products that that have this durability and dependability. And so strength and dependability is something that we've always wanted to, to have in our products. And then if you look at the visual language, we've always had this horizontal yoke seam um, in our jackets. And the idea is that it... Um, it reads to um, accentuate the chest and shoulders. And so it makes you look more athletic. And, so, and it makes the product look stronger. And so in that way, we're trying to convey this idea of strength and um, dependability in the visual language of the product. Oh, yeah, we had a slide deck. Whoops. <laughs> <laughs> We can take some questions, but I wanted to leave this one up there. Uh, Robert Piercig uh, uh, died this week, and uh, for anybody who read his books, it's, you'll remember the, the I guess the how central the dialogue around values and around quality was through his work. Um, and this quote uh, I, I came across in the last couple of days, and it actually does a really good job of summing up a lot of what we talked about here. And it's kind of a manifestation of the flame model applied to design of this idea of values underlying thought and action and ultimately that being what builds into physical representation. Um, so it's pretty thought-provoking uh, for me just uh, seeing ultimately that it's good, it's good to see these. It's, it, I mean, it's, there's a lot of value in having that really open inquiry process of trying to figure out what's there, but then being able to bring that into embodiment. So to remember to come back up to the action level of what does that build, what does that demonstrate uh, in the world. So, yeah. I'm just curious, you know, you talk about it being a process of uncovering the core, because like the action was already working, people like the product. Um, when you uncovered the core, were there kind of elements there that were not as tasteful that you felt like there's a current state and maybe a future state that we need to realign to as a group? Or can you speak to that? Like, or yeah, um, so to, I'll, to, to paraphrase the question, it was like in, in that uncovering process were there things where we were like, whoa, like th- there needs to be a change process here as well in addition to just kind of reflecting what it is that we celebrate. And, and yeah, for sure, a lot, of the, a lot of the research that we didn't touch on here was uh, we used a tool called CultureAmp. If anybody's seen it, it's a pretty interesting kind of 
at its basis, an engagement platform of asking a series of questions of how tied in people feel to the organization. There, there are a lot of tools like that in the world of Gallup polls and best, work, uh, best places to work and stuff like that. What's interesting about CultureAmp is it's then trying to correlate the people who are most bought in and like, like, like that are cranking in the organization, what's going right for them? Like, what are the opportunities they're seeing? And then on the flip side, for the people who are the least engaged, what's not happening for them? What are we bad at it as, or, as an organization? And a lot of that was pretty functional stuff. Like, it was a lot of, like, you know, do I feel like there is a strong culture of communication around uh, decisions? Um, do I receive relevant feedback? And so kind of going into, like, the plumbing. And, yeah, there's a, there is a... For an organization that has kind of an obsession with perfection and getting things right, that was a very humbling process. Like, kind of like, you know, look under the carpet and be like, holy wow, there's like, there, you know, there's a, there's a willingness to get into the weeds of saying like what works well and what doesn't. Um, but there's also that process of critique is a pretty, you know, that can be a pretty eye opening thing. So, yeah, there's, there's a bunch of that. And that's actually what a lot of the behaviors are, are designed to do is to say, so here are some of the ways that have come up that people have found really effective at getting at them. You know, let's try to do more of these. That's, that's, that's going to be probably some of the most difficult stuff ongoing is finding the ways that those get reinforced most meaningfully. But yeah, for sure. What was Maya yesterday? How did they go? Make. Maybe we'll use that. Yeah. I guess that's not it, but yeah. <laughs> no, we're still looking for the mantra. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't, I think that, that part of this is like it never really simplifies. Like this is inherently complex. It's, an org- it's a brand that says a lot of different things. It's probably one of the reasons that people will know, like, it's a great product, but what's behind that? And it's like, sit down, we got to talk. Like, <laughs> do you, have you ice climbed before? <laughs> no? Okay, all right, we got to talk for longer. So, I mean, it, it's, it's a brand that, that it's not afraid of going into the complexity of the, the product challenges of the ways to get there. So, uh, I, I, so far, no, we haven't tried to pull the, like, build the values into an acronym that everybody can remember. It's like, no, you got you to think about it. That's the point. Um, I don't know if that's going to be a good approach or not. I think that'll also be really interesting in terms of the five-year um, review of how it all went um, is, to, is to actually see um, how, how sticky um, this process is, or the, how sticky this work is and how well it's landed. Um, we definitely... Uh, the team putting the work together definitely put a lot of thought into how do we actually make this a living part of the the, the company, and how do we make sure that it becomes um, comes to life. And so we did actually put together a sort of an 18-month roadmap of um, at least planning out that part of it, so that we already have different um, engagement points planned, so that we can keep it moving. Um, and then I think. Uh, it's a big challenge for everybody in leadership in the company to, to one, make sure that they are actually living up to the expectation that's been set um, and that we're referencing um, the work on a consistent basis so that it, it can come to life.
Good question. I think we just, we, uh, we knew that we wanted to get into a degree of complexity that you'd, people would be able to dive in and like kind of really like get under the surface and really shake and decide whether they believed or not. And for us, the only way to do that was not just to sit at the principal level, but to say like, here's the story that's the example. Like we have, you know, the, our receptionist, Usha, is the first sewer from the company who's been working there for 25 years and, you know, can speak to how, uh, you know, how, the, how, they, how they managed to string bobbins in the original sewing process so that they meet the quality levels they're talking about. So it's like finding that collective lore and bringing it to the surface. We didn't see a way that you'd do that without, like, without people being able to actually read through and pour over. And, like, for us, what was most important is that, like, it's a, there's a lot of scrutiny in a design-obsessed organization and that to be able to put something in front of people and have them, like, really pressure test it personally and, like, go, like, either... Now, like, you guys are just trying to pull, the, like, the wool over my eyes. This is just, like, a, you know, rah-rah, you know, rah-rah event. We'll get back to work tomorrow. Or would people dive in and be like, yeah, cool, like, that, that's it. Like, that's representative. And the book seemed like a really tangible, enduring way to kind of commit that to record, give people that chance and, like, squeeze it and touch it and be like... Yeah, cool. Like, this is it. And I think the other thing that we wanted was we wanted to make sure that um, the values that we highlighted were true and they were lived through the company's um, evolution. And the, this, the book is full of stories which illustrate those values. And so it sort of helps to, to bring together that folklore and, and, and give tangible examples of, of how those values have been lived. Just uh, this, in, in a way, seems so, um, I don't know, trite and superficial, but it, I, I felt an emotional resonance. <laughs> was, so this two-day event is going on. In the book, I think, I think there could have been a variety. We talked about a variety of mediums and how we would communicate this. And, of course, the book, as we described, it was just one part of a two-day experience that people had to sort of introduce them to the, the content and the ideas. And not just introduce them. There was dialogue and back and forth. Um, but another thing that happened, which... Again, you could, you could say it's just cheesy, but when you walk into the Arcteryx office where Usha sits and there's this reception area and there's some of the old tooling and uh, uh, equipment that Arcteryx has designed that has helped them innovate over the years, you know, sort of above uh, where Usha sits, while this two-day event was going on, the, the purpose of the company, <laughs> the purpose statement, was sort of put up there. Um, but, and, and again, seems so, so simple and maybe superficial, but there was a sense of permanence. All of a sudden, boom, this statement was there, and people came out after this two-day thing, and as they're leaving the building, there it is. And uh, I don't know, that, that even for me, and I'm not a full-time Arcteryx employee, although I feel like I'm part of the tribe, it had some interesting emotional impact on me. Yeah. We, uh, we don't get to make those decisions. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's a great question. Yeah, we'll, we'll see, I guess, is the answer. I think what we would say is that uh, I've been pretty impressed with the, the senior management team's willingness to say, like, like this is a platform that we want to build on. And one of, the, one of the directions coming out of it, for example, is saying, how, does the, how, does the, how should the purpose and the values be the starting documents for the strategic planning cycle? Like, what would be the way that we can say, all right, we're going to allocate resources 
based on what we say is important to us. Like if we, if we want to address these cultural problems, for example, how do we put time and effort against that? So whether that results in structure changes, I don't know, hard, hard to say. Again, not our decisions, but, uh, but I think there's a willingness to use this as like a big tool for meaning making in the organization. Just quickly, I love that you asked the question because, first of all, it suggests that, you know, just this idea of the, the model, the flame model, you can see the application, which your question is, is a really important question, right? If, if the idea is you want to build integrity from a brand point of view, and that has to do with alignment from the inside out, because if the more aligned you are, the more believable it is, then that is one of the, that is one of the points of leverage to ask that question. So have we got the right structures? Are they properly designed in a way that um, will produce the kind of action that reflects the identity? That's one very important question. Another important question from my standpoint is from a, from a marketing point of view, let's, let's sort of now do an audit, if you will. Let's look at ourselves and all of our marketing efforts and our communications efforts everywhere the brand shows its face. Is that aligned or not with who we say we are and how, where do we need to tweak and how? So I love the question. Any others? Uh, I think the answer is, of course, um, there's, you know, no one bats at 100%, and so... Um, <laughs> we say bats 1,000 in North America. Oh, okay. Um, how many players on the team? <laughs> um, so, yes, it's definitely... I, th I think, you know, um, it came up yesterday as part of being a designer is that you're never satisfied. And, and if you are satisfied, you might as well retire. So I think, you know, we're, we're always looking critically. And, um, yeah, it's... I think the best... It, it will definitely inform more decisions going forward. Um, and there'll be products that won't be there much longer. So, yeah. Can we sneak one in? Yeah. How have these values... Ooh, again, we're, this is like a five-year horizon kind of question. But, um, yeah, I mean, we talked about the tension of that a little bit earlier, that there's, a, there's, a, like there's an ideal picture of who your consumer is, and there's, uh, the reality is that it's a lot of people, and a lot of different ones. So I don't know. I'm not sure if it's too important for us to get too prescriptive about, like, who's this for. It's more like let us be really clear about who we are, what we build, and why, and just let that be a really honest conversation. If people come to that for their own reasons, that's fine. But I'd like us to just be really straightforward about like, what belief set does our product and our organization and the impacts associated with it, um, what does that represent? Like, what is that? And then do you choose to buy in? Eyes wide open. This is where you're getting. Um, so I think, uh, yeah, I, I would be interested to see if there is a shift in that. But again, that's longer time horizon. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think it definitely allows us to sharpen um, what product we want to bring into the world. And I think that will inevitably um, affect which consumers come to us um, over time. So, um, But I think we've looked at it much more through the lens of, okay, what is it that we really want to bring into the world um, and try to stay focused on it at that point. And um, we'll let the marketing department figure out like where it goes from there. The, the one other, and this is, I want to be clear, this is just my, uh, it's my own editorial opinion. <laughs> you know, Arcteryx is a brand, so it started 25 years ago, so the world's changed a lot, right? And I think that Arcteryx, quite intentionally, was very mysterious and, you know, wasn't a brand that really um, consciously and deliberately sort of talked about who it is and what it cares about. And, you know, it was consumed, and this is a good thing, it was sort of consumed and obsessive about creating great product. What a fantastic foundational thing for a brand to have compelling product in the way that Arcteryx um, has produced over years and lots of innovation. I would argue, and this is just my editorial opinion, that the world has changed a lot. And I think um, increasingly... Um, uh, people want to know sort of, okay, what's behind this? What really animates this brand? What do they care about? What do they believe in? What's, what, 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 you know, what's important to them? And so uh, that's why I think now having articulated this and gone through this intense internal, very sort of self-conscious examination uh, to uncover these truths, there's the potential now to communicate more about what really does animate Arcteryx. What does the brand really stand for? What are its convictions that reside beneath these incredible products? And that that should both attract customers and potentially repel other customers. But I think increasingly the world, you know, in terms of people's relationships with brands, they want to know more. The world is inherently more transparent in terms of tools that we have and how we communicate, et cetera, et cetera. So, any closing comments? Thank you for sitting through our uncaptivating presentation. <laughs> <laughs> I think the one thing for me in closing is, for someone who's, I, for who's been at the brand for 15 or 16 years now, um, it's, a, it's an amazing sense of relief to have actually built this sort of foundation that feels really robust now. Um, and um, it, it feels um, like that foundation will allow the brand to, to continue um, on the trajectory that, that it was founded on. And so that kind of, for me, is an incredible feeling of relief because I think, you know, when things are moving so quickly um, and, and there's so many different forces pulling at an organization um, and you don't have that foundation, then it's a really stressful place to be. So um, I think that's probably the thing that, that's been most meaningful for me in, in that process. So, yeah. Um, thanks, everybody.